It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Welcome back to the, uh, you know, to the to the show that we're doing right now. Following the local teams, breaking down the biggest games with in-depth analysis and team interviews. There's going to be much higher expectations, sense of awareness of what uh, we bring to the table. Join the show by calling into 435-752-1069 or text 435-339-0321. It's the Full Court Press. Gross, yes! Caught! Touchdown! Did he get it? Oh, wow. What's going on, everybody? On a Monday, Eric Franson and Jason Walker trying to make sense of another loss for Utah State. They're third in a row. Uh, Several reasons why the Aggies lost the game. But there are signs that this team is improving. Um, But a little, little late to show some of these signs of improvement. I mean, there's still eight more games to be played. But opportunities for wins are going to get harder and harder for Utah State, at least in the next few weeks. And uh, it just seems like fewer opportunities for Utah State to become bowl eligible at this point. But uh, there are some takeaways from it. Uh, Coach and players talking about the undisciplined nature of this team. Super frustrating to watch Utah State time and time again on Saturday gift opportunities to UNLV, whether it be the penalties a bad snap, or the six turnovers. And really, they they beat themselves as much as UNLV won the game. I think we can all see that. But getting a lot of your reactions to it, getting the reactions from the coaches and players as well. Uh, we need to also recap what happened in uh, uh, during the week for uh, Region 11, the updated RPI standings for high school football. Uh, Utah Jazz had their media day today with Probably won't be able to get to much of that because we have so much more to get through. Uh, but um, And we're also going to do our call-out for the bread-and-butter play of the game from the Skyview Bobcats football game on Friday night coming up at about 5.15, so stay tuned for that. But still a lot of reactions coming through on our full-court press text line to uh, the Utah State loss over the weekend and some of the comments from Coach Anderson and some of the players as well about the undisciplined nature of the football team right now. Yeah, there's a lot to get to. <laughs> We've, we've still got, I think we're backed up like seven different texts that we've still got to get to. And we've already gone through nine or ten of them. Uh, a lot. So. so let's get to some of those right away. 2305 on our full court press text line. Uh, I think most of us thought after Utah State's successful 2021 season that it would continue because of high level recruiting and transfers to our program. I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed. We don't seem to have the talent that we should have on a team that showed so much success last year. And everybody notices us now, and we're not able to compete like we should be. Yeah, that's the surprise because we thought they were replenishing the talent decently well, and they were keeping the quarterback, coach, pretty much the entire staff. I think they lost like one person off of the coaching staff who, who went somewhere. So it's like you'd think they'd be able to repeat, but they just haven't. The coaching staff hasn't been able to adjust to what is you know kind of a new look offense because they do have different players on offense specifically at the wide receiver position and different players at tight end and they've not been able to adjust their offense to fit the fact that they have they don't have a burner like Devin Tompkins who's also a guy who can go up there and catch those you know 50-50 balls most of the time 
Cobbs and McGriff aren't doing that. So they're struggling because a lot of their offense was based on using Tompkins' ability to do that as a threat. That opens up the rest of the field. And they've, so, you know, in an offense based a lot on running go routes and some other deep routes, it was nice to have receivers who are really good at getting open deep. Yes. Right. They were physical. Uh, they had a, a, a broad catch radius to go up and get a ball. Uh, I, I think that that these wide receivers have been challenged this year to be better. Uh, there were some of the, the turnovers that Coach Anderson puts on the wide receivers, either not knocking it down or going after it and getting it. But to be honest, those passes weren't exactly on target either. Um, so it's a, I think it's a 50-50 blame on quarterback and wide receiver. But uh, we, we did see receivers going further downfield, making plays. I thought we saw McGriff make some solid plays. Cobbs had some good plays. Vaughn had some great plays. So the, the wide receiver core and, and that connection with Logan Bonner was better, but still not good enough to get the win. Yeah, and, and so they're going to have to work on that. They're going to have to work on not having turnovers because that obviously limited the offense, and then work on you know, getting to your good stuff earlier because they didn't start getting to their good play calling or at least you know, plays that worked against the defense they were facing until too late in the game. They need to start working on that earlier where they're not playing into the other defense's hands by just you know, you know, not having good plays. Uh, one of the things I noticed, I tweeted this out, and I put it in my Monday cooldown, now I'm going to say it on the radio. So every different outlet I have to tell the public, <laughs> I'm going to say this because I thought it was really interesting. Where and so this is, we we've had a lot of discussions about use of the tight end. It got asked in the Monday press conference. People talk about it on Twitter and social media and all that. Utah State using the tight ends more. Well, just in analyzing the run game the last couple of weeks and in charting all the passes this week, you do notice that Anthony Tucker's system basically has tight ends as glorified fullbacks. That's what they are. The only thing keeping them from being fullbacks is the fact they're not running an eye formation or an offset eye formation. Although, to be honest, one of their formations almost is an offset well, eye. Yeah, they've, they've used that a time or two. Yeah, and they, and they do some things uh, in the run game. They'll run some split zone, and they'll use the, the tight end as a lead blocker sometimes. That actually kind of works a decent amount in their run game for as struggling as their run game has been. But when I looked at you know the pass plays they ran when they had a tight end, so of the 19 pass plays they ran where they had a tight end in the formation, specifically lined up as a tight end, there were a couple plays where Brock Lane actually lined up as a wide receiver. But when they had a tight end as the tight end in the formation of those 19 plays, 13 times the tight end stayed in as a pass blocker. So the vast majority of the time. And the thing that's even more curious when you point that out, because if you think, you know, we were talking about how UNLV, they were like 10th in sacks coming into this game, well, UNLV rushed only three players on the vast majority of those dropbacks from Bonner. Like, I think 28 of 42 dropbacks, UNLV only rushed three players. And for most of the time you have a tight end out there, he's pass blocking. So a lot of times you have a six on three. There were nine times where USU had a seven on three pass blocker to pass rusher, which is great if you want to keep Bonner upright, but it means on the other end, that's a three on eight. Right. So it's like, talk about wide receivers not being able to get open. How on earth 
are three wide receivers supposed to get open against, you know, eight, eight defensive backs dropping back into a cover four? How on earth are you supposed to do that? And it's just like they didn't adjust that until later in the game when they finally just went to a four wide receiver set. They didn't have the tight end there. So they had at least four wide receivers running routes all the time. And it took them a frustratingly long time to get out of that and start doing things or just to run the tight end on some routes. So that's my rant on tight ends. <laughs> that's, that was one of the things I noticed. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, nine, it's a 6543 texting in. What's become of Xavier Williams? Heavens if we know. He didn't play. Didn't play. I know he's played sparingly all year. They're just sometimes he's in on special teams. I think they're just trying to work him in where he can. Uh, part of it, I, I don't, I don't know all the, the particulars and all the details, but other players are seeing the field ahead of him. If he was good enough to play over some of these guys, he'd probably be playing. You know, given they were willing to move Nine Davis up the the ranks. Yeah. So I I have a feeling that we just overrated Xavier Williams. Because he's just not performing. Nine three one five. I let's see. We have a ton of talent on this year's team, but something is off with uh, with play calling, the way we act. I did like the creative play call with the fake punt. It's a play that should that showed talent in our players. Yeah, the the, the fake punt was nice. Again, there were a couple of creative uh, pass combinations that I liked. Um, Two point conversion was. Yeah, two points really exotic and exciting. Yeah, they had a nice counter run. They had a couple of shovel passes that were that showed some creativity. So there's little wrinkles in this offense they show every now and again. Now you don't run those like all the time. They're meant to be somewhat limited. But you know, throw those in every now and again. Maybe you could run them more. I did mention the one play where um, it was when in the first game when Levi Williams overthrew the tight end on a fourth down. That's a play I really liked because it looks exactly like Utah State's split zone run. And I want to see that again in short-yarded situations because it seems like a really good way to get cheap yards. But I don't think I've seen that play yet again after they did it in the first game. Missed an earlier text from 93015 said time management was a big problem of the game. Yeah, and that's coaching largely on coaching because the players, you know, that's what they do all the time is they go up to the line of scrimmage and stare at the sideline until they get the play. You need to coach them and say, Here's what we do in this situation. Get the play, get to the line, run it. Don't just stare at us. And don't do the hard count and stare back at the sideline. You don't have time to do that anymore. No. Yeah, it's a little surprising that it, it appears that there's not enough trust in the quarterback to audible based on the situation, that he can adjust the play call according to what he's seeing. They have to always look to the sideline to be told what to do. Uh, 5338 texting in. I'm not sure if this is just me, but it seems like the Aggies have had on-field discipline problems going back a number of years through several coaches. It seems like an institutional issue. It it feels a bit worse this year. The last two games particularly have been very problematic. Yeah. I don't know that Utah State's been horrible with penalties over the years. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would agree that it's an institutional problem stretching back for a long time. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that, but I don't. I don't know that I would sense the same thing. Yeah, I could. I could maybe look it up. Look at penalty data, but it just it 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 feels worse. 
and maybe the numbers don't reflect that. But I'd say right now, especially since the coaches are bringing it up, they weren't coaches weren't really bringing it up before. Matt Wells didn't get up at a press conference and almost unbidden say, "Yeah, our coaches are chirping at the refs too much" or things like that. I don't remember that happening during the Matt Wells or even you know second Gary Anderson no, era, that's a f- which was its own disaster. Yeah, it's the first time I've heard that out of a coach. In fact, nine nine five two texting in Anderson. There was a lack of leadership amongst the players. I haven't seen it amongst the coaches. Also tired of Aggie players talking smack when down by seventeen plus. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that's one of my pet peeves is when guys they they're celebrating a little too hard about the touchdown they scored so they can go down 7 to 63. <laughs> that hasn't happened here yet obviously just to that extreme but there's some and there's some players who they just love to chirp and they'll do it even when it's not really necessary. And I then think- they act like they're the the big cheese when they score a touchdown like early when the game isn't even doesn't even matter yet. But we live in a highlight society. And guys are always looking to build their own personal highlight reel, whether it's for the the, the team the way they currently are or if they're, they may go somewhere else, they need to go back and show they've made a good play because those, those highlight reels don't always reflect what the current game score is or the situation is. They just reflect what the play itself was. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you've got players who are – way concerned about their highlight reel, those are the players you shouldn't be recruiting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, obviously, you're going to care about your highlight reel. You yeah. should. I get it. being excited about making a great play. Yeah. Take pride in your work. Be excited when you do good. It does not come before the team because then you turn into a distraction, You, you know, and you become a malcontent when things aren't going right. You know, it's the everything wrong with, you know, football in a sense. When things go wrong, you know, the, the players who end up being, again, negatives on their team because they're too focused on themselves and not the team. Yeah, I agree. When you're down three scores, I mean, why are you talking trash? I mean, yeah. <laughs> all the other team needs to do is just point at the scoreboard. Uh, yeah, I, amen. It's an issue. More comments from you, more comments from the coach and players coming up. A lot of focus on the discipline and composure. But we're taking a brief aside here to talk about high school football. So it was an interesting weekend for Region 11 where we, we talked about how homecoming this year is not a good thing for Region 11 teams. Homecoming is no longer sacred. <laughs> no, Mountain Crest, the only team to win on their homecoming night. And uh, this last weekend, it was not safe for any home team. All the road teams won on Friday night. But uh, one of those that won on the road was with Skyview Bobcats. And as we do on Mondays, we do a call-out for the Old Grist Mill bread-and-butter play of the game. Hurricane John Newbold and Rex Davis, they, they note a specific play in the game, and they mention it again in the post-game, and call out the uh, bread-and-butter play of the game. This was Friday night in uh, in Tremonton, or in Garland, as it were. Uh, and if you remember what it was, call in right now, and if you can correctly identify what that play was, we will award you four loaves of bread to the old grist mill. 435-752-1069. Uh, you have to have uh, not won in the last 30 days. Give others an opportunity to win. But if you can call in and correctly identify it, 
We'll give you some free bread. While I take calls, Jason, you can take the texts. <laughs> All right. Keep going on these texts. Uh, five, eight, seven, nine. Um, I think I'm trying to go back to make sure I get all these. Yeah, so he, he sent in a couple. said, also, we should have kicked more field goals. We had several opportunities to get three points. And with the way we were playing, we should go for points rather than get stuffed on fourth down. Um, I have to go back and try and remember how many situations Utah State was in where that would have been applicable. Um, it's hard for me to comment because I can't remember those situations uh, clearly enough. There were probably a couple. They actually took points off the board. In one instance, though, that paid off because they ended up getting a touchdown that drive. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Unfortunately, I can't comment on that as well. Maybe I'll ask Eric about that. Uh, but then uh, 5879 also says, we are staring a repeat of 2020 in the face. And, you know, if things don't get better, it may be right because that, that team got pretty bad pretty quick. And things weren't very disciplined with that team either. Things were falling apart pretty quickly uh, with the players and with the coaches. Um, 8798 uh, says Anthony Tucker needs to go. Time for a new OC. And maybe uh, midseason firings of your offensive corner tend not to go super well because, well, it never makes it better. Because um, you end up running the same offensive system the rest of the year anyway. Maybe at the end of the season. Who knows? That's a possibility. If the offense continues to play bad, shoot itself in the foot, then that's a possibility. We'll see. Um, 2305. Um, okay. Again, I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing because some of you guys have texted multiple times. Uh, it says, I hear a lot of comments. Uh, yeah, it says 2305. I hear a lot of comments talking about the coaching, the play calling, and and overall rating of a player. I think what I, I think what I'm thinking about is the talent is not there. The talent, if you have it, generally has surfaced before now on a football team, especially with the wide receivers in the office deadline, it doesn't seem to be there. I was trying to read. <laughs> it was a long block of text. Uh, 235, you also added, when you when you don't, when you spend a lot of time analyzing every aspect of the game, thinking that you're perhaps better than what you are. So I think one of the things he's just generally getting at is that uh, talent should have surfaced by now, which it hasn't. It's been an issue. Yeah. It's been an issue, and, and um, you know part of the challenges with coaching too is recognizing what you do and don't have, and then coaching in a way to maximize what you do have, rather than trying to force players into a certain situation that they just can't quite excel at. Now, you're you have a system that you know works, and this is the system that you're trying to teach and trying to implement. But at the end of the day, you also have to be able to adjust. And uh, that's been a bit of a struggle. I think that we saw some of that rolling a little better on Saturday, but clearly not enough um, that were – I mean, some of those are, are non-related to personnel or play calling. Some of the problems that plagued the Aggies yesterday were not related to the play calling or what the talent was. They were self-imposed problems – that you take some of those away, even half of those away, is it a very is it a drastically different outcome? Mm, maybe. Yeah. And in some cases, like we talk about play calling, usually when people say I hate the play calling, how many times do they really know what they're talking about? Because <laughs> like, what, what what do you mean is the problem with play calling? Would you call it a different play? Like, 
in what situation. Like, it's kind of tricky with that. And one of the biggest problems, like, when it comes to play calling in the run game, I've seen people, you know, complain about the creativity of the run game. Like, how more creative are you going to get? Like, it's just execution, like with the run game. And on Saturday, with the passing game, a lot of it was execution. And as I've said, some of it was coaching because the, the routes weren't working with the defense they were playing against. Um, but again, execution is one of the biggest things for most of the team. True. Good point. Uh, pause that conversation for just one second. Want to make sure I give a shout-out to Kobe. Kobe called in and correctly identified the old gristmill bread-and-butter play of the game from Friday night. It was a Brooks Rigby catch. Um, he caught a 38-yard touchdown pass from Carson Thatcher in the second quarter with about four minutes to go. It put Skyview up 14 to nothing. But uh, Rigby and Thatcher both had big games on Friday. In fact, uh, Thatcher was recognized as our Cash Valley Media Group Player of the Week. Yep, had a, had a really big week, like 330 yards. That was one of his four touchdowns. Uh, this is... I think it was one of his longest passes. I don't know if he had a longer pass than that. It was his longest touchdown. So definitely, definitely a really good game for him. Uh, Rigby himself, eight catches for 124 yards and two touchdowns. Skyview has now won two in a row after a bit of a shaky start, kind of kicking things into gear for the Bobcats. Um, but Ridgeline is still the top-ranked team out of Region 11 in the latest RPI. They're still number four. Um, yeah, Mountain Crest at number six. Skyview did move up a little bit. Logan has dropped a little bit. Others kind of remained the same. But, um, yeah, kind of interesting to see where Region 11 is right now. Yeah, Region 11 is starting to shape up. Granted, we only have two more region games left to play. It feels like it's kind of going over fast. But Skyview is kind of in the driver's seat because, you know, Ridgeline being the, the top team in the RPI, Skyview's got the win in hand over the Riverhawks. And they... Skyview does have the loss to Logan, but Logan's tumbling far enough for the standings. They're not going to have to worry about a tiebreaker with that. So as long as Skyview wins out, they're golden as far as Region 11 title. Now, RPI, they're probably not going to get much higher than they are now, even if they win out. They might rise a couple of spots if they win out. But, you know, Region 11 crown is nice, and you'll get to host a home game. Yeah, it's very possible that Ridgeline could be ranked four or five spots ahead of Skyview in the RPI, but Skyview be the region champs. Yeah, that's just the nature of how it works. That's weird. All right, another quick time out on the Full Court Press. More of your texts coming through. We'll hear from the coaches and players as well and their reactions to what happened on uh, Saturday and their comments about discipline and how that's become a real issue with this football team this year. It's all coming up next on the Full Court Press. Schreiber Foods wants to give a big thanks to the community for your support during their 50-year celebration. Thanks to you, they exceeded their goals for money raised and food donated for the Cash Food Pantry. Over 60,000 boxes of birthday cake mix was donated and thousands of dollars raised, all to help feed hungry families in our community. You also helped set a world record for the largest macaroni and cheese dish ever made. Over 4,700 pounds were made, and it was delicious. In fact, so many people have asked for the rest that you can now pick up that exact recipe at the Logan Schreiber Foods Office, 885 North, 600 West. 
Local restaurants donated proceeds like Texas Roadhouse, Chick-fil-A, Firehouse Pizza, Los Primos, Sabores, Tandoori Oven, and Cafe Sabor. They also want to thank their dedicated Triber Foods employees for all the difference you make in feeding the world and doing good through food. Again, thank you from everyone at Schreiber Foods. They couldn't have done it without you. Hey, it's Jackson from Mountain West Motor. I want to invite all of you to our off-road event and cookout on October 1st at 4 p.m. Bring your street legal off-road vehicle and meet us at 4 p.m. at Mountain West Motor, 615 North Main in Logan. We will check out each other's rigs for about an hour, then head out around 5 p.m. to Providence Canyon. At the quarry, we'll have hot dogs and hamburgers ready for everyone who can make it. For more details, follow us on Instagram at mwmotor.co. That is M-W-M-O-T-O-R dot C-O. See you at 4 p.m. on October 1st at Mountain West Motor, built for your adventure. We are Aegis Home Health and Hospice. Aegis, A-E-G-I-S. Our home is your home. We are more than an organization of health care professionals. We are proud members of our community. Compassionate, quality, patient care is our mission. I am Jason Jones. I'm a proud member of the Aegis team. At Aegis, we're dedicated to character, experience, and trust. Aegis Home Care and Hospice. We will ensure you experience the difference. 435-723-9000 or find us at myagis.com. They never could play it, but they sure can talk about it. Eric Franson and Jason Walker on the Full Court Press. I think without the turnovers, without the penalties, we're we're in great position to win that game, and that's what's disappointing. Those are self-inflicted mistakes that we have to fix, and. Um, we, uh, we battled those yesterday. We were very extremely uh, transparent in all those areas where we can fix those problems, and hopefully we will take another step forward this week and eliminate mistakes and play our best game and find a way to get a win against a really, really good BYU team. Uh, Blake Anderson earlier today, just too many self-inflicted mistakes. 11 penalties, 100 yards. Four unsportsmanlike, Th- those are the ones that are really frustrating. And-, and Anderson alluded to that too, and I don't remember if that was in a clip we already played or for another one coming up, but like you, you can live with a penalty if you're, if you're being aggressive and you're, you're, you're trying to get gain ground or you're trying to not give up a, a long pass play and you kind of have to do a, a, a pass interference or something like that. Yeah, I think you can live with those. The ones you can't live with are the administrative ones, false starts, delay of games. Those are those should be inexcusable, and the uh, the unsportsmanlike conduct. I mean, those are, penalize you more than just about anything, and can potentially get a guy kicked out of the game. And just when they happened, that's also problematic for USU. Yeah, cause two of them happened at once. And and led to UNLV getting another short field, which I think they ended up scoring on. I think they might have kicked a field goal at that time. But, yeah, it was, it's just bad. Because, like, you know, like you said, you can live with about four or five penalties probably. And as long as there are not too many false starts or offside or those kind of things, you're going to live with that because you're going to have a hold and you're going to have a pass interference and you're going to have something else. It's just going to happen. But, yeah, it's the ten and the four unsportsmanlikes and the, like, three or four false starts. They kill you. Because you get a hold, that just about kills your drive. It's 
fairly rare to get a hold and end up with, you know, a second and 15 or a second and 20 and then end up moving the chains. It's pretty rare. And so... It's yeah. hard to yeah, hard to dig yourself out of that. Yeah, and, and so you kill a drive and, and that's done. You know, and I think it was Utah State's like second drive. I think they got killed by a holding penalty. First or second drive, killed by a holding penalty. And when it was going pretty well, then that was it. You're done. Punt. No points. It it, it just kills you. Five three three eight on our full court press text line. Can't catch me. I'm here one more week. War Eagle signed Brian Harson. Also, Vince Lombardi would say, when you score, act like you've been there before and act like you'll be there again. Yeah, the old Barry Sanders, he took that advice. And that's something, and I, I'm, a, I'm obviously okay with people celebrating some in the end zone. It's just some guys celebrate too much. And when they get too into their own celebration, it gets a little annoying. Uh, yeah, and I think you have to recognize the situation. You have to read the room. You don't go crazy if you're already if you're still down three scores. Yeah, and I think like, it's great you scored. That's helpful, but read the room. Yeah, like, what's going on? And, and I alluded to this earlier, but I'll just say it outright. Justin McGriffey scored that touchdown in the first quarter. I mean, it was the first points Utah State had scored in like a month. Uh, the offense had scored, excuse me. You know, taking his helmet off and acting like he just scored the game-winning touchdown of the national championship game. <laughs> Don't be like that. Yeah. Be excited because he made a dang good play. Keep it measured. But, yeah, come on. And thankfully he didn't get an unsportsmanlike penalty for it, <laughs> which I guess if you don't get a penalty for it, do what you want. I don't care. But it does. But especially when you're having a season like this, it does begin to rub people the wrong way when you act like that. Uh, one five seven zero. we didn't overrate one player. I think we overrated all the players. This uh, was in relation, I think, to our conversation about the uh, – Xavier Williams. Uh, yeah. Then also, I will say this. The defense actually looks pretty good. I know they gave up 34 points. They are put in in a lot of bad situations. It seemed like they were on the field for a long time. Time of possession was pretty equal. Uh, in fact, I think it was in Utah State's favor by the end of the day. I don't think it was, actually, because I remember checking Because Utah State had uh, possession a lot in that fourth quarter. I need to double-check. I, I checked that to see if it was the case. But you're right, and the, the defense was put in a lot of difficult situations. Short fields, um, you know, turnovers, have to come back out on the field. Uh, they, they made some – look, they had – I charted over, what was it, 10 or 11 tackles for loss, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. They didn't have any takeaways, but um, I thought the defense did a good job limiting – a uh, UNLV team that runs the ball really well to only 100 yards rushing. Okay, so time of possession had UNLV at 34-30. Yeah. And Utah State at 25-30. Yeah, so it was... That's nearly 10 minutes. Yeah, so that is that is the defense being out there a lot. Um, And that's been the case for a lot of these, these games where maybe with the exception of Alabama, where Alabama was just scoring so quickly, they didn't have the ball as much. Yeah, the defense is just spending too much time out there. Uh, two three zero five. We already I think, I think we already you already read, read that one. Yeah. Six one three three. Something. Uh, let's see. Actually, one before that. Nope. Something I noticed in the game is really, really undersized in a lot of positions against UNLV. Yeah, in some cases. 
Um, and a lot of people around me in the press box were saying that UNLV looked a lot bigger. I didn't, I, know, I wasn't paying attention to that, so I can't comment on that myself. The way they used their tight end and one of their wide receivers, they used their size to their advantage. Yeah. That's, I mean, of course, Utah State has size in their wide receiver core, and they don't use it. At least not well enough. 6'6 six, six wide receiver, 6'6 six six receiver in Cobbs. Like, I don't know, because every time Utah State faces a 6'6 six, six wide receiver, he keeps mossing everybody down the field. <laughs> didn't help that A.J. Carter fell down in that 40-yarder. Yeah, didn't help either. Dang lucky that wasn't a touchdown. Yeah, it was a bad throw, or else he would have gone in. Uh, two six zero three. Uh, let's see. Coach Anderson's commitment to Logan Bonner is hurting the team as a whole. Has Coach A lost the locker room because of his decision at the quarterback spot? Also texting in. It's more than execution from a play calling standpoint. The OC needs to set up plays with other similar plays. You can get set up on the run or the pass, then using misdirection and getting your athletes into places where they will excel and out leverage the defense. Uh, what that's not happening on USU's part. Case in point, the t- the uh, the take handoff on pass plays, the the fake handoff on pass plays. Yeah, that they do that a lot in you know you're when you're you know facing cover four, you try and do a play action to draw on the linebackers because that opens up the window that usually closes. You know when you got so many players, you know running that coverage. Um, they'd be doing the play action and the linebackers wouldn't move a lot. Sometimes they bid on it, but a lot of the times linebackers just aren't moving on play action. Utah State was running play action like consistently every play when they were down 10 points in a, like a two-minute drill style drive late in the fourth quarter. They were still running play action, which was weird. <laughs> and and we, we've talked about this before. We've had people calling, why are they still doing the play action? It's just part of the play, I guess. And it's theoretically supposed to draw on the linebackers. But when it's not, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, we did see Logan Bonner run with the ball a little bit more Saturday where it's like, okay, the quarterback will actually carry the ball and hold on to it for a minute. Didn't really gain a lot of yards, but at least there was that option showing that, yes, he will actually keep it and run sometimes. Honestly, I feel like that might have been the thing that saved Bonner's job because I think for some reason Blake Anderson just wants his quarterbacks to be able to run the ball no matter what. Because he keeps running these read option plays, and you have read options throughout the season going for pretty much never more than three yards because they keep getting caught by the backside defensive end because there's no threat of Bonner running. We finally ran this week, so that didn't happen. Bonner got like two or three first down runs. One of those first down runs immediately set up Justin McGriff's. It got a first down on like a third and one, set up McGriff's touchdown on the next play. So there's some good things from Bonner on the ground, which I feel like that's the one thing that Blake drilled into Bonner's head throughout the week is you will run the ball or that's that's your short leash. You have to be able to scramble and have that as a threat and part of the offense. So I don't know, that may be a little... Too far to go and say that was the thing that saved his job, but you know because Bonner or Blake talked about that after the game. He's like, he's all right, Bonner, you know, he moved the chains with his legs. Like, yeah, sure. And then he threw a pick. <laughs> he actually threw an interception the play after getting a first down with his legs. Uh, so a lot of lot of a uh, whiplash with some of Bonner's 
uh, positives and negatives. Three 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 one. With the talent we have, the quarterback has to step up and run like Wyoming uh, quarterback does. Yeah, right. I mean, the the way the offense is designed, and the way that they're trying to execute it, the quarterback has to. Part of the RPO is run pass option, and the quarterback is not really running it, and so the defenses are figuring that out and just dropping everybody back, making it difficult to to throw the ball around and making it difficult for the wide receivers to get open. Now, Logan, as we just mentioned, his did a little bit more of that, but how much more of that can he really do effectively for Utah State? Uh, I don't know. But if, if he's doing it a couple yards here, a couple yards there, as necessary to keep the chains moving and keep rhythm and momentum going, that's fine. But this hurry up, Stand there, look to the sidelines, waste time off the clock. It just it kills momentum. I don't understand why. You know, last year they had some sense of keeping things going, stacking successful plays on top of each other, and like they would march down the field. And this year we're just not really seeing that. Yeah, well, they're not executing. They're not running the ball well. Like this on Saturday, they they had two point nine yards per carry. Like they they can't run the ball worth the crap. Uh, nine four six three. Hearing whiffs of news going around on campus from various players that Bonner fractured his foot on the last play of the game and is most likely out for the season. Anderson obviously wouldn't mention it in press coverage today because he wants BYU to game plan for Bonner, then would play Lega. I guess we'll see. Um, so at the end of his press conference, it was kind of, kind of comical actually. I wanted to ask about Logan and his, his condition because he got rocked. He was slow to come up. He was favoring his one leg. Um, they, they took some time getting the play call in there so he could at least get his feet underneath him. But he finished the game and threw the ball into the end zone. It was picked off. So I, I, the press conference was basically ending today, and I had a hard time getting my unmute on my microphone. So Blake's like, okay, I'm done. He's starting to stand up as I'm trying to ask my question. Thankfully, he hears me like, pleading with him for one more and he comes back and sits down and, and here's my question and answers it but um, this is what he said about Logan and uh, uh, Logan Bonner and his health and you tell me if he answers the question pretty good shot um, as Logan has always done the dude got back up and somehow finished finished the game last play I was ready to take him off but uh, they blitzed a late backer and the guy I mean just exploded him right there as he was letting the ball go, somehow able to finish the next play, get a ball thrown to the end zone. Uh, but that's that's kind of who Logan was all last year, and has continued to be that through this injury and and getting us to this point. So it's acknowledgement that he got hit, but that's that's really it. That's all he said. Yeah, and I so I don't know if I won't speculate on rumors. I haven't heard that anything, but. Yeah, I, I, he really didn't answer the question about how healthy is Logan Bonner and if he's good to go. Yeah, I I saw the rumor, but there's nothing to substantiate it. So you can certainly speculate if you want to go to the Utah State practice field and uh, take a set of binoculars, sit up on a hill, and try and figure it out. <laughs> uh, go ahead, send me the footage. <laughs> uh, can, reminds me of that time with was it like Oklahoma. There are these two kids, like students, student reporters for the student paper, like just sat in a building and were able to watch 
the Oklahoma practice. That's when the controversy between like Caleb Williams and uh, Spencer Rattler was happening. Oh, really? And they like reported who was getting first team snaps. <laughs> Ticked Lincoln Riley right off. Uh, but it's hilarious. Uh, a couple more texts, and we're going to take another time out. Uh, this is from 9938. Uh, BYU is an incredible home team. And, okay, road team. I guess that was from last week. Also, biggest thing I want to see next game against BYU is improved discipline. Yeah, yeah. that would certainly help. That's a big issue with this team right now. 2945 texting in. Uh, creativity in the run game. Fly sweeps, toss to the outside, RPO with a quarterback who is a threat to run, a package with Levi Williams, any ability to line up under center, even if it's just for short yardage plays. When we spread the receivers out so wide, a bubble screen is basically part of the run game, and those have disappeared. The slot receiver's defender was 12 yards deep all game. Throw it to him immediately. If we're going to go wide, take advantage of it. That's the creativity we need. Also adding, uh, I know we don't see our tight ends much, but where was Sturzer? Didn't see him out there. I think he was injured. I know Anderson uh, mentioned being shorthand, and I think that may have been part. Parker of it. Buchanan was did not have his shoulder pads on. Yeah, yeah. So as, as far as the creativity in the run game, I mean the RPO, mind you, it's like as, you know the run pass, and they they do that. I don't know how often they actually pass out of the run out of the RPO. The read option is the main thing, you know, read option with a quarterback who can run, which we saw a little bit of. Maybe that's an improvement. It would be interesting. They did run a fly sweep. Technically, it was a pass play because that's the way they run fly sweeps these days. Tosses to the outside. I would like to see that every now and again, especially with Briggs because he actually has the speed. It wouldn't work with Tyler. But with Briggs, I think we could actually see some success with a toss sweep. Right. They're, they're just not really attacking space very well right now. Yeah. The way they spread things out, they're not – doesn't seem to be taking advantage of it quite like they could. But they also just can't run against, you know, five- or six-man box somehow – they can't run against that. And so it doesn't matter how creative you are. If you can't block, it doesn't matter how creative your run game is, you will still be bad at it. Because they run a ton of different types of blocking schemes. They were in the split zone, the zone, the RPO, you know, gaps with pulling guards. They run a lot of things. None of it works because they can't block. More on that, uh, more of your reactions. We'll get an uh, interesting comment from Chandler Dolphin, the center, who's in the middle of that. Uh, what he says about his team right now, coming up on the other side of this timeout, uh, in about uh, three and a half minutes, we'll be back. Uh, but first, just a reminder about Grantham Mobile Automotive. Uh, if you've got a car that's stuck and won't start, if it's stranded you somewhere, uh, whether it's at your house or at work or on the side of the road, call Grantham Mobile Automotive. Uh, it's auto repair service that's on the go that can get you up and running in no time. Call 435-229-4345. That's Grantham Mobile Automotive, 435-229-4345. Hi, this is Tyler. Recently, my father passed away, and White Pine provided the funeral services for our family. They were friendly, thoughtful, and attentive to every detail. You know, it isn't often that a loved one passes away, so it was very important to my family that everything be handled just right. Because my dad was loved by so many people, we had a lot of family and friends that traveled from out of town. I really appreciate how White Pine Funeral Services made sure everyone was comfortable and that the focus was where it needed to be, on my dad and my family. They really took care of us during this tender time. What's more important than sleep? Granted, some things are, but not many. This is Ryan at My Mattress, and here we offer the best solution to better sleep, a better mattress. 
IntelliBed, the gel mattress, cradles your hips and shoulders while providing the best back support possible. Or come in and choose a Tempur-Pedic that boasts 93% of their owners love their bed. My Mattress, offering the best sleep possible by the South Walmart. Don't get caught without power after a windstorm or a major winter freeze. Golden Spike Electric offers Generac backup generators so you can be prepared and keep your home warm while avoiding frozen pipes. Golden Spike Electric is one of the largest Generac dealers around, so you know it'll be installed right. Whether you're a homeowner or an electrician, contact Golden Spike Electric to rest easy the next time the power goes out. Online at gsegenerators.com or call 435-257-3016. They also service other models. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Right now, I don't think we're a very disciplined football team. Um, and that's something that, that we're going to continue to work on moving forward. Um, I think the, the one thing that Coach Anderson preaches is, is right on the edge of out of control. Playing with fanatic effort, but not being out of control in a way that's going to cost or hurt the team. And... Uh, I mean, clearly we didn't do a good job of that last week. That's Chandler Dolphin and expressing similar sentiment that Hunter Reynolds had earlier too, that uh, fans have a right to be embarrassed by the composure of this team. Those are Hunter Reynolds' words. Chandler Dolphin saying, we're not a disciplined football team. Yeah, they're not. And they're not. <laughs> it's just, and yeah. As a player, as a senior leader, that's got to be frustrating to have to admit that and have to address that in a press conference. Yeah, it is. Like when – it's never fun for these guys in these press conferences when they have to get up there and, and talk about how they just lost their third in a row and all these things because it's, it's not fun to do press conferences when your team's bad because you keep having to say the same things over and over. Uh, a couple more of your texts, 2603. Coach A seems destined to ride Bonner to the end no matter what. Always seems like he has an excuse for Bonner. Uh, 9315. Andrew is a great quarterback that was sad to see leave. He's talking about Peasley, probably. I don't know if I would call Andrew Peasley a great quarterback. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that either. He had a good arm. He's fast. He's fast. And a good runner. Not very good. accurate. Yeah, not very accurate. Works in college. Can be a great player. But yeah, like I so said, we, we tend to overrate some players. Like right now. They always seem better after they leave. Yeah, and right now, we're overrating Cooper Legault. Just straight up. Five zero eight zero. Largest self-inflicted mistake was keeping Bonner out there as he continues to throw high, short, or to the other team. I hope Logan is not hurt because it's a scapegoat for the coach to make the right choice. Uh, then five eight seven nine regarding Logan Bonner and his health um, says nope. On Bonner's interview with twelve eighty the zone, he said he's good to go. They probably have noticed he was wearing a boot. Interesting because if, the rumor being he broke his foot. Okay, unless that happened on the last play of the game, I don't see him playing because he ran a lot on that last play. Yeah. On a broken foot? I doubt it. I doubt it. Also, previous text, I don't know if we got this. What's the fallout from this season going to be if we only have four games like ESPN, FBI now had us predicted, and they let Coach A go? I just hope we don't go there. He's been awesome and brought us our title. I mean, there's that goodwill. We talked about this kind of with with Matt Wells, where he earned a lot of goodwill with his first couple of seasons where he won like nine games and ten games. That earned him some goodwill to this last three. You know, it went six and seven the next year, went three and nine. Bad season. Then went six and seven, 
So if he'd gone three and nine again, he probably got fired. But he showed some improvement, and then made it back. Maybe we'll see something like that from Coach Anderson, um, where he dips this season. If he doesn't improve in his third season, that's when the seat gets hot. Right. He's he's not on a hot seat right now. Yeah. So if, if this happens again next year, you will start talking the maybe. But if he shows improvement, gets to a bowl game next year, or heck, if he manages to pull it off this year, that keeps the train going and he keeps his job. Uh, two one two two better play calling. People in my section were predicting the plays USU was going to run. A bunch of armchair quarterbacks figured it out, and I guarantee that UNLV did too. They did. That's why they weren't biting on play action. That's why you know they were basically sticking with their cover four. They're able to figure things out. And finally, when Utah State did something unpredictable, it burned the heck out of UNLV's defense because they weren't ready for it. Like Terrell Vaughn, his touchdown. He looked like he was going to run a dig route to the inside, and the defensive backs like, oh, you're going to do the same thing you've been doing the entire game. And then Vaughn does a double move, cuts to the corner of the end zone, bam, touchdown, wide open. Perfect. The first time they did something unpredictable, it worked like a charm. 6436, just tuned in. Sorry if you've already discussed this, but one, seems like we got burned a lot on third and long with UNLV running through our def- our defense. Is that our D-line not filling gaps and getting pushed around? And two, what are your thoughts on the offensive line play? Uh, the offensive line run blocking is poor. <laughs> it's not very good. They pass can't. pass protection is solid, but run blocking is poor. I had to reevaluate my thoughts on the pass protection, given that UNLV rushed three guys the entire game. <laughs> I guess that's true. They're not and, really sending a lot of guys, yeah, and a lot of time against six pass rushers. So, I my thoughts about the whole season they've been good, but maybe they've been keeping six guys in the whole season. I've not. Chart of the other plays is he'll often keep the tight end and running back in. So, I mean, Bonner doesn't get sacked, so props to the passing game, pass protection for that. But yeah, the offensive line just, they don't run block very well. And the interior defensive line is already thin, and it just got even worse. Um, so there's, yeah, that defensive front for Utah State, uh, Byron Vaughns was not available. So there were, it was a... Uh, it was a thin defensive front for Utah State, not as experienced. Hopefully, Vons is available on Thursday. But, um, yeah, yeah it's it, a struggle. And as far as the third and longs, I think UNLV, I'm looking at their third down plays. I think they had three third and longs they converted. Oh, no, actually, like four. Like, they converted like a third and nine, a third and 11, a third and 12, and a third and nine. Overall, UNLV was five of sixteen on third downs, which is a percentage you live with. That's a yeah for a defense should be okay with. Yeah, there there, there was the feeling that Utah State was giving up third and longs, which I mean they gave up four in one game. Four of their five third down conversions were on third and nine or longer, so that that does feel bad. Uh, another quick timeout here in the full court press, and some final thoughts to wrap up the hour. Four three five three three nine zero three two one. If you still want to chime in. Having enough money can be a challenge these days, so let's fix that. Raise your possibilities with Elevate Credit Union. Start by opening an account, then move your loans to Elevate. Elevate Credit Union's low rates means lower payments. Elevate can help you consolidate your debt, and there are no payments for 60 days. Apply online, over the phone, or visit a branch. Visit ElevateCU.com. That's ElevateCU.com. 
The Young Automotive Group is proud to announce Young Truck and Trailer Center in Cache Valley. Whether it's heavy equipment trailers, horse trailers, race car trailers, or cargo and utility trailers, we're excited to offer some of the finest trailers and flatbed work trucks to Cache Valley. Our team of experts look forward to helping you find the right truck or trailer to fit your needs, with competitive prices offered on every make and model for sale on our lot. With our extensive inventory, you'll find the best deals right here in Cache Valley. Young Truck and Trailer Center, just off Highway 89 in Logan. Think young, drive young. Are you a small business owner? Who's your bank? This is Bruce Rigby. I want to invite you to bank with us at Cash Valley Bank. We specialize in helping small business, and we have great people. That's the Cash Valley Bank difference. Decisions made locally, without all the red tape, by people who care and know how to help small business. Cash Valley Bank, growing, expanding, and proud to have our roots firmly planted in Cash Valley. Cash Valley Bank, member FDIC. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Hey, Mountain West Motor reminds you about their off-road car show event coming up this weekend. Go to to their place at 615 North Main in Logan at 4 o'clock. Bring your off-road or four-wheel drive vehicle. And then at 5 o'clock, they're going to head up Providence Canyon to grill up some hot dogs and burgers should be a lot of fun for the whole family on Saturday afternoon coming up uh, this weekend. So Utah State, struggling, right? That's one way to put it. Self-inflicted mistakes. That's uh, Coach Anderson's words. Uh, a lot of issues there with the football team just not getting out of their own way. I will say this. Uh, I thought that it was a good crowd considering – of what was said about the crowd the game previous. I, I thought that it was better effort from the team defensively and offensively. I thought there were signs of improvement and you know, get out of their own way. Clean up the mistakes with the penalties. Cut down on the uh, interceptions and the turnovers. Different outcome. Certainly easy. I mean, yeah, it's obvious. Twenty Hindsight's twenty twenty. But I thought that the, the team showed a lot of improvement from what we've seen really even all year. Even in the UConn game, there were issues that, that were troublesome that I think that the team was moving in the right direction. Unfortunately, we're four games into the season already. And these things that we're seeing now should have been done in week zero. And now you're going on the road to face a top 25 football team, which is, you know, the last game of a rivalry game for a while, and they're going to be hungry. Utah State should be hungry too, but USU has always struggled to uh, pick up victories in Provo. Yeah, if there is one major positive to take away from this game, it's that there is a positive to take away from this game, that the team did look better. That's a really nice thing to be able to say after the Lieber State game where there is nothing positive I had to say about the entire game. Maybe there's one thing. I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't they remember. They were very hard to find any positive. I don't remember ever saying a positive, and that's that's awful. The fact there are positive things you can say about this loss, it was a step forward. It wasn't a step forward anybody in Utah State wanted, but it was a step forward. Um, you know, as far as being this far into the season without you know having things figured out, yeah, it is a little worrying that you had to spend your bye week relearning, you know, a lot of things, figuring yourself out you know, two or three weeks into the season. You want to figure that out, at least to a large degree, in the offseason, especially when you had so many players returning and you had the same coaching staff. You should have had things figured out. 
This wasn't a completely new team. So it is frustrating they've had to, to spend all this time figuring themselves out in their four or five weeks into the year. Right, and, and student leadership, uh, player leaders, how well they step up to hold each other accountable, that's, uh, that's a big issue. And hopefully that gets better and resolved moving forward. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.